If you have your Bibles, uh, whether you're uh, here with us now or you're watching from home, uh, I invite you to turn to uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel is uh, in the Old Testament. It's on the right side of the book of Psalms. Sometimes it's like, I'm not sure where it is. Uh, look to the book of Psalms and then go to the right toward the New Testament and you'll find uh, the book of Daniel soon thereafter. Uh, we're gonna call uh, this series uh, Stand Up and stand out. The book of Daniel, the story of Daniel, what does it look like for people of God to stand up and stand out in a culture, in a reality uh, that is moving in the opposite direction from the ways of God? Daniel will encourage us. He will exhort us. He will be a model for us uh, of hope and faith and hardship and trial. Um, I was thinking about my grandparents uh, this week. I got to travel back to Tennessee last week and help my dad do some things around the farm and uh, help him uh, clean some stuff around my grandparents' place. And so I've just been thinking about my grandparents a lot since I was just back home in Tennessee. And the reality uh, for uh, 2020, for most of us who are a part of uh, Two Rivers Church, we are living in a different era than our grandparents. We are living in a different area than our grandparents. I found a quote from a Barna Research Group. They wrote this just three years ago. Uh, this is a quote from Barna in 2017. I wanna read this to you. It may come as no surprise that the influence of Christianity in the United States is waning. Uh, rates of church attendance, uh, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer and Bible reading have all been dropping for decades. By consequence, the role of church life or the role of religion in public life has been slowly diminishing. And the church, we think about the church, the American church, the church no longer functions with the cultural authority it held in times past. These are unique days for the church in America as it learns what it means to flourish in a new, quote, post-Christian era. We live in a different era than our grandparents lived in this country, and this era is a post-Christian era. As people of God, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, when things in life, your family, your job, your circumstances, the way of the world, when things in your life are not going your way, the way you want them to go, the way you would choose things to go, when you are misunderstood, when you are dismissed, uh, how do you respond to that? Perhaps how do you react to that? When your beliefs, when your uh, biblical beliefs, when your Christian beliefs come under attack, when the circumstances of life even bring suffering, how, how would you respond or how do you respond? The story of Daniel, the testimony of Daniel, Daniel stood up and he stood out. Uh, when he was under attack, when he was misunderstood, when he was going through his own personal trial and suffering, his faith in God, his hope in God held secure and he stood up in a culture and in, um, in a country that was against the way of God and he stood out. Daniel did not compromise his 
faith. And so I, I really believe this study over the next six weeks will be in Daniel for uh, six Sundays together, which has, by the way, some of the most famous Old Testament stories that many of us learned when we were growing up as children. Uh, these stories, this book, this, this prophetic, this um, apocalyptic uh, book of Daniel will give us uh, resolve in our lives to do the same, to stand up for our faith and to stand out for our faith and not to stand back in quiet. Um, I, I think in these days, we all need reassurance 2020 has been a hard year. We're in a life situation that is um, difficult uh, for so many. And we all need reassurance that God can and God does work all things out in accordance to his will. Um, This doesn't always feel true. Doesn't always feel true in my life that God is working all things out in accordance with his will. It doesn't always feel that way to me. And the timing of it in our lives isn't always what we would choose as we wait on God to wait to hope in God. The timing doesn't always line up with what maybe we would choose. And it doesn't always feel like God is working things in accordance with his will. I get that. That's true for my life as well. Uh, When life is hard, it's easy. It's easy to become defeatist sometimes. It's easy to uh, be discouraged. It's easy when the circumstances of life are hard to question God's goodness and his uh, promises and his provision for our lives. When life is hard, sometimes our faith can carry more weight or our feelings can carry more weight than our faith. And I, again, the book of Daniel will encourage us, it will uh, exhort us, and it will equip us to see the reality uh, that the empowerment of maintaining hope uh, in our lives uh, motivates, empowers our faithfulness. Let me say that again. Uh, Here is what true hope in God does. Here is what standing up in faith and standing up and standing out in hope. Here's what true faith does. It motivates faithfulness. Daniel was a man of princely blood from the line of David, actually. So he was a prince. So Daniel was a prince and his three friends that we'll talk about a little bit today. We'll talk a lot more about them next week in chapter three. Uh, These guys were royalty. They were princes. Um, the, The book opens 605 BC. The last date mentioned in Daniel is in chapter 10. It's 537 BC. So that's the historical timeline of the book. And in 605 BC, we know that Jerusalem, Judah was overthrown. They were overtaken by uh, the Babylonian empire. And so Daniel in 605, somewhere in there, BC, Daniel and his three friends, as Judah is being conquered by Babylon, they are in the first wave of of exiles or slaves being uprooted out of their homes and taken to the Babylonian empire. Think about this for just a minute. 
You are of noble blood. You are royalty connected to the line of King David. You are overthrown and now you are enslaved in a pagan empire of Babylonian. Most likely, scholars tell us when this happened, 605 or so BC, most likely Daniel was a teenager. They were young people. They were youth. Think sophomores in high school. Think sophomores in high school. That's, that's the, the narrative story that we will begin to get into with these young guys. Would Daniel, as a teenager, abandon his faith in God? Or would he grow weary? Would he lose heart? Um, secularism, secularism in our society denies the supernatural power of God, but not Daniel, the teenager and his buddies. He stands up. He believes in the supernatural power of God and he stands out. Uh, one of the commentaries that I read this week uh, in preparing my notes said this about the study of Daniel or the book of Daniel. Uh, this is all the reason why the church needs to be counting on the certainties proclaimed in Daniel. Full, confident, proclamation of God's purposes for the whole of history needs to be heard without delay. And so let's go. Let's proclaim the certainties and the promises of God that we have uh, in Daniel. Let me give you a bit of a, uh, just an overview of the book over the next six weeks. So you've got uh, chapters one through six, uh, really as a narrative of Daniel and his three friends when they're young living in, Babel, in Babylon. And their names are uh, Daniel, their names are, and his three friends are Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. But you probably know them better by their Babylonian names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. It's interesting that we know Daniel by his Hebrew name and his Hebrew name means God is my judge. We, we know Daniel mostly by his Hebrew name and we know his three friends more so by their Babylonian names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Just, just to quiz the audience here, uh, does anyone know the, um, Daniel's Babylonian name, what his name was changed to? Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. Um, these stories, first six chapters again, when Daniel and his three friends were young. And then the back half of the book totally is, is totally different. Now, Daniel is an old man, a scholarship believe 70s, 80s, um, the last six chapters. And this is where God begins to download visions and dreams uh, of the end times, of the second coming of Jesus to Daniel. And so because of the last six chapters of the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel really does stand out and stand apart from the rest of the Old Testament. In technical language, Daniel, the book is eschatological. It is an eschatological book. The, the eschaton is the last thing or the end. That's what that means. And so the phrase, the eschaton, is considered to be what happens at the second coming of Christ. Um, you may have heard the phrase eschatology. Uh, eschatology is the study of the eschaton. It is the study of the end time or the last things. And so from a meta-narrative perspective, as we think about uh, the book of Daniel, here, here is what Daniel ultimately gets us to. 
Ultimately, what Daniel gets us to is God's sovereignty, his authority, his, a sovereign, his sovereignty over his world. It is God who is in authority over it all and will bring, will bring his world to his appointed goal in his timing. All the kingdoms of this world will come to an end and will be replaced by the Lord's kingdom, which will never, the Lord's kingdom, which will never pass away. Hallelujah. Daniel is a promise. This book, 605 BC, this book, the story of Daniel, what we're gonna get into in the next six weeks is a promise of hope for all future generations. And we desperately need this reassurance in our lives today. Daniel will show us how to hold the tension between the promises of God and the fulfillment of God in the waiting. Daniel will show us that hope in God, true hope in God, again, motivates our faithfulness while we wait, while we hold that tension, and while we go through our own struggles and hardships in our own lives. Here's what I uh, believe, that faithful living in exile, which is the story of Daniel. The story of Daniel is about faithful living in exile. But what I believe is that faithful living in exile is not foreign to how we are to think about our lives today in 2020. Faithful living in exile is also how we are to think about what it means for us to be people of God in our lives. God's people are called to live as strangers, as exiles in a world that is not our true home. We are sojourners here. We are passing through and we must be reminded often of this so that we don't sink our roots too deeply here. Remind you of a verse in the book of Hebrews, verse 13 or chapter 13, verse 14, for we do not have an enduring city. We do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. I'm excited about this um, series. Uh, let me forecast uh, this uh, with you as we uh, think about the next six weeks today. Uh, chapter one and two, stand up, stand out. We'll get into chapter three next week, that famous story of the fiery furnace. Uh, week three, uh, Daniel chapter four and five, the handwriting is on the wall. Daniel 6, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, all these famous stories. And then the last two weeks of our series, Daniel 7 to 9, his first visions and uh, Daniel's famous prayer from chapter 9. And then we'll close with Daniel 10 to 11, Daniel's vision of the final conflict. This is where we'll be heading over the next few weeks. So uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV this morning. Um, let me start by just reading Daniel 1 with you. Uh, I'll read the first seven verses. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read chapter 1. It's an entirety this morning, and then we'll read some pieces of chapter 2 at the end of our time together. So this is the Word of God. The book of Daniel begins chapter 1, verse 1, first seven verses. In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah in Jerusalem. This is 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. 
And the Lord, verse two, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, ordered, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse four, young men, we're thinking about Daniel and his three friends right now, young men, princes, noble blood, young men without any physical defect, handsome showing appetite for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Verse six, among these, among the youths chosen... To eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, among those are from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hannah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is what happens at the beginning of the book of Daniel. It's interesting to look at verse two. It says, the Lord delivered the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord delivered, isn't that interesting to think about? The Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This was God's judgment on Israel for their rebellion and their lack of faith in him. If you think about the um, prophetic book of Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet, this is what the entire book of Jeremiah is about. Jeremiah warning Israel over and over about this reality in Daniel if they did not repent. And now Israel has come under the reality of Jeremiah's warning. And so Daniel and his three buddies, they get recruited. This is, this is a strategy move from the king of Babylon. Um, four men of noble blood, they would, they would prove useful to the conquerors. And so uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna give these guys, we're gonna give these young men, we're gonna give them the royal treatment. Uh, we're gonna give them the royal tri- treatment so we can flip them to our allegiance. And so we're gonna wine them, we're gonna dine them so that they ultimately pay um, Babylon allegiance and King Nebuchadnezzar allegiance as opposed to Judah and Yahweh allegiance. Verse eight, Daniel, his three friends are recruited. Verse eight, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel resolved. He stood up, he stood out. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor, supernatural favor of God to Daniel and his friends and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. 
Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? And the king would have my head because of you. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier. Daniel and his three friends, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God was favoring Daniel and his three friends. He was supernaturally favoring them as they stood up and they, as they stood out. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the king official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus to conform uh, or not to conform, that really is the question. To conform to the ways of the world or not to conform to the ways of the world, that is the question. Would these young dudes, these teenage boys, these perhaps sophomores in high school, would they stay faithful to their God or would they conform to the identities of Babylon? I want to pause here for just a moment and I want to um, value and celebrate and empower uh, our teenagers that are a part of our church family and teenagers that are a part of our community. Lindsay and I, we love teens. We spent um, 10 years of our lives, uh, pouring our lives into teenagers in full-time youth ministries, and we highly value and esteem the essential ministry of uh, loving and teaching and empowering our teenagers. And as a church family, if you are a teenager and you are listening to this live or you are watching this or you're hearing one of our youth leaders talk about this, we want to tell you we love you and we need you and you can stand up and you can stand out in this culture. We're not asking you to wait until you grow up and get older. We are inviting you to partner in the mission of God today. And I would even say this to you, young people, you give us adults courage. You give us empowerment and courage. And we want you to know how much we love you and we believe in you. I was thinking about Paul uh, writing at the end of his life to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, Timothy now leading the church as a young man in the ancient city of Ephesus. Uh, many of you have probably heard this verse before, but I wanna, I wanna encourage us with this again today. First Timothy 4.12, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, 
but set an example for the believers in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We have Daniel and Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah, and they did not cave in their convictions and their beliefs when they were pressed on by Babylon. They were young men of faith and courage. Can you imagine the courage of these young fellas as slaves in a foreign land, exiles, to stand up and stand out in this way? It's just mind-boggling. And they would not be uh, wine and dine by the king. Instead, they would eat vegetables and water only for 10 days. 10 days of vegetables and water only. And the king, as we read, found them 10 times better than all the other young people that was eating the king's wine and food. God, God gave them the strength. When we stand up in faith and when we stand out for faith and hope in God, God empowers us with strength. Uh, He strengthens us. And that's what we see in this chapter. Um, This chapter, chapter one, is kind of known as the Daniel fast, like this 10-day fast of vegetables and water. And if you were uh, with us or you watched the service um, two weeks ago, you may remember Lindsay at the end of the service uh, inviting our church family, if they felt uh, called to do that with her, to step into a 10-day Daniel fast leading up to the election that happened on Tuesday. And so, um, and also Lindsay loves the book of Daniel. And so I wanted to just interact with Lindsay for just a moment and ask her what she learned in that 10-day Daniel fast that she participated in over the last um, 10 days leading up to Tuesday. So first, Lindsay, I want to ask you, like, what is it about Daniel? We've had conversations about Daniel. You've loved Daniel since you said you were a little bitty girl. What is it about Daniel that stirs your heart um, as a follower of Christ, but also as a pastor for our church? Uh, What do you love about Daniel? Why were you so excited that we were gonna do Daniel? Um. Why did you encourage me to do Daniel? (laughs) Um, like you said, just since I was a little girl, I remember learning in Sunday school about Daniel and um, obviously the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But I remember just being so inspired and impacted by just how he was such a man of faith and how he did it alone. And, you know, he did have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we'll learn later that they were kind of separated. And he was on his own and he believed God and he stood for God. And I just remember thinking, could I do that? Could I pray when somebody declared, when a king declared not to pray? Could I um, stand when a king said everybody has to bow and everybody bows? Could I stand? And I just remember thinking that. And Daniel's just really inspired me as a believer to stand, to stand up and stand out. It really, everything that you've said has been so impactful for me um, as a believer. And we talk so much about community and it is so important, but it's also so important to just have an individual faith in God and just trust him alone, so. Um, What did you learn in your 10 day Daniel fast? What was that like for you? How did the Lord speak with you? Just talk about that for a minute. So as I shared a couple weeks ago, the reason I did it was because I just was so troubled. I just had, my heart was really troubled and I just, Um, I wasn't sleeping well, and I just, I was restless, and, um, you know, God tells us not to be troubled, and um, so it's not this, it wasn't this place of I'm doing something wrong, it was a place of I'm believing wrong. If I'm this troubled, 
and God's got this, then I'm believing wrong. And I just, I realized that I was feeding so much on information and news and I was taking it all in and trying to make sense of it and nothing was making sense and it was troubling me. And so I knew that I needed to do something for myself. I'm not a, I'm not a naturally disciplined person, but I needed to do something disciplined to really get my mind set on, on God and his word. And so I remembered the Daniel fast that a, a mentor of mine had done it a few years ago. So I researched it and it really was something I thought I'm, I'm going to do that. And it's vegetables and water. Um, I, I drink one cup of coffee a day, which if you know me, I drink like six really for real. And so to go down to one was probably the hardest part of the whole thing. Um, because I would drink one and that was it. And coffee is really a comfort for me. And um, when you deprive yourself of things that you're used to having, um, it creates a need. And it really, and for me, the first few days, it, it was emotional. I felt this emotional sort of detox. And um, the thing that really impacted me the most was Daniel, and we learned later in the, the chapter, or in the, um, yeah, the chapter or whatever, the book, thank you, that um, Daniel prays three times a day. And I pray all the time. I mean, I just, in my mind, I'm always constantly like talking with God but this was different. This was an intentional time where I would go into my prayer closet, my literal closet, and just pray and just sit with the Lord. And um, after a couple days, that rhythm just really started. It makes me tear up, but it really started to just settle my spirit, just the inside. All this stuff's going on outside, but my spirit just settled, and I really was able to hear from the Lord and just rest in Him. And um, that's that was the most impactful. And that's the part that I really want to continue to just have that intentional prayer time. It's like, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm praying, but you know, when you're with somebody, like Jason and I will have conversations in the kitchen and like our kids are in there and I'm making dinner and maybe Jason's doing something and you know, we're talking, but there's so much going on. And those are, that's a lot of times my prayer life. And um, I realized that this was just this intentional time with just the Lord and um, I could really, settle in here and I'm grateful for that thank you yeah thanks for sharing you're welcome I remember her telling me that that um, so much of the pace of our life the busyness the fullness of our lives um, if we're not disciplined to sit still before the Lord um, it's hard to really hear what he's saying. And so the rhythm, I think what Lindsay had shared with me that was so impactful, it's just the discipline of literally going into her closet three times a day for 10 days created space for her to hear from the Lord. And what came to her was a, was a shalom, a peace of God that she uh, didn't have uh, before that. So I just thought that would be encouraging uh, to our church. So I wanted her to share that. Um, uh, as we finish chapter two, uh, we, we read that uh, they're now in the king's court. As we get into chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar begins to have all these dreams. And in verse three, it says that um, Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream and my spirit is now troubled to know the dream. And I'm gonna skip forward to verse 36. I would encourage you to read all of chapter one and two later today, but let me just catch you up. He brings Daniel in to interpret his dream. So I wanna read this uh, with you as we uh, close up this morning. This is verse 36 to 49. Daniel, before the king, says, this was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. 
And in your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. And after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. And next, a third kingdom, one of bronze will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with clay. And as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. You see, as great, as great as King Nebuchadnezzar was and as much power and wealth and authority that he had, King Nebuchadnezzar is finite and he himself nor his kingdom would endure forever. And the same goes for every earthly kingdom that would come after the Babylonian empire. They rise and they fall, but not the kingdom of God. The God of heaven will work out his sure plan and purposes. And God's kingdom, the prophetic promise from chapter two, God's kingdom is the only kingdom that will endure forever. Uh, King Neb, the Neb dog, whatever you wanna call him as a nickname, King Neb, uh, he is pleased with the interpretation and he bestows great honor upon Daniel the slave. In captivity and in hardship, God is favoring and giving strength to Daniel over and over and over again as he stands up and as he stands out for God. Even in struggle, God, uh, Daniel's hope empowers his faithfulness to God. I think about the story of Daniel. Uh, what other famous Old Testament story? Think Genesis. What other famous Old Testament story does this, this story of Daniel remind you of? Anyone in the room? Joseph. The story of Joseph right? Brothers sold him out to slavery into Egypt. They were jealous and he got sold out into slavery into Egypt and God favors Joseph over and over and over again. And then Joseph is, gets a position in the Pharaoh's house, the number two leader of all of Egypt. Only 
the Pharaoh over him. And this great famine comes into the land and all of Joseph's families come to Egypt for help. And that famous verse, Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph speaking to his brothers, he says, as for his brothers and his family, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Secularism denies the supernatural, but not the people of God. Do you find rest? Do you find rest in the sovereignty of God? If you are at a place of unrest, and there is a lot of unrest, in our world, in our country, in our society. But I'm asking you personally, are you at a place of unrest? And if you are, I would encourage you, I would exhort you today to find rest in God's promises and his purposes. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. We can read that, believe that, take a deep breath and allow our minds and hearts and lives to get to a place of rest, even if chaos is happening all around us. I believe that sovereignty is theology that comforts our souls. The sovereignty of God is theology that comforts our souls. Though all of God's word, hear this, though all of God's word is essential for us to read it and learn it and study it and memorize it, though all of God's word teaches us all that we need to know to weather uh, the, the realities of life, the storms of life, if you will, there is one theological truth I believe that stands out in times of trial and suffering. There is one doctrine that brings everything in our lives into perspective. There is one doctrine that provides comfort and rest to our weary souls, and it is the sovereignty of God. It is well with me. When God says, and we know that for those who love God, that God works all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, when God says that we can be confident that it will happen in God's timing and in his ways. When the word of God says, when God says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6, it means that he will finish the work in us and he will finish the work in his world. When God's word, when he says all, when Jesus says in John 6, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. We can be assured that we are secure in Christ. Because God is sovereign, church, nothing and no one can thwart his promises and his purposes. So be reassured today. Be reassured today, church. Be at rest 
today and allow the sovereignty of God to empower you to stand up and to stand out and trust that God is favoring you in the same way that he favored Daniel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, this timely, relevant book from generations and generations and generations ago. But Lord, this is your living word, this story of Daniel to bring hope to all future generations, to our generation. And Lord, as we sang just a few moments ago, I pray that our generation, that this generation, Lord, like Daniel, would stand up and stand out the faith that we have in God and the hope that we have in God, that God ultimately works all things together in accordance with his will. Lord, we want to hold in faith, Lord, your promises and your ultimate fulfillment that your kingdom is the last enduring forever kingdom that will never pass away. And so I pray that the sovereignty of God would bring comfort and rest to each one of us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.